Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast contains information, theories, and speculation based on the A Song of Ice and Fire novels by George R.R. Martin. It can and will spoil future episodes of the HBO television series Game of Thrones. This is your one and only spoiler warning. If you're looking for our non-spoiler podcast in Game of Thrones, please look in our feed archives for our Sunday night instant take and Tuesday afternoon full podcasts, or go to baldmove.com for our entire catalog. Hey, welcome to the spoiler edition for the Game of Thrones podcast on Bald Move. This is for episode shit. I don't six oh seven. Six oh seven. The broken man. The broken man. Uh, <laughs> it feels like it's been a long week. You know, actually, it feels like it's been more than a week. Yeah, it, it really feels. Uh, actually, why I was compiling the spoiler edition, I threw on the Game of Thrones because I realized I wasn't even sure what the hell. You know, I've, I've had. I feel like I've lived a couple lifetimes since then. Um, First up, since a lot of people ask, my dad's doing great. Uh, he came through the surgery fine. He's progressing ahead of schedule. He hasn't quite gotten out of the ICU yet, but um, I think that that feels like more of a formality. He's up and moving about, and uh, I, he should be home sometime late this weekend, Monday at the latest, uh, assuming there's no further complications. So thanks, for everybody, for the well wishes. Uh, I couldn't get back with everybody who'd sent them in since the Monday podcast, but um, uh, I did read them all, and I appreciated it. Uh, as a follow-on, since I didn't get back until last night and immediately had to do a Penny Dreadful podcast, um, this is going to be a bit of a shotgun spoiler edition. I didn't have nearly as much time to look into and research, and, and someone sometimes people ask me to do things to research, and uh, I'm happy to do it, but I had to punt some of those to next week um, if they don't get dry-pied by the episode itself, because that happens a lot, too. I I tend to save feedback from, you know, I get, you know, Tuesday through the following week. And if it's still relevant, can consider it. But sometimes, you know, events blow things wide open and what are you going to do? Uh, so enough of the excuses and belly aching out of the way. Uh, the one thing I want to talk about before we kind of get to everybody else's stuff is the character of Lim Lemon Cloak. And Lady Stoneheart, and how it looks like maybe, against all odds, we might actually get the uh, Stoneheart character. Back in 5 wrote in, the more they talk about the Red Wedding, especially I slit your niece's throat, etc. comments. And with the return of the Brotherhood without banners, doesn't Lady Stoneheart almost have to show up at this point? So I want to talk about a couple um, of these things. There's a new character that was kind of at the forefront of the supposed Brotherhood. And he had a yellow, like a mustard yellow cloak. Okay. And he's a big brawny dude with a scruffy beard. And it seems obvious to book readers that this is a, a character na- known as Lim Lemon Cloak. That is a terrible name. Like, uh, oh, God. Okay. So I don't think that's his. I think it's his name is Lim, and people call him Lemon Cloak because of his piss yellow coat mm-hmm. uh, uh, cloak. 
Okay. Uh, I don't think that's his given name. Uh, so he's prominently associated with Lady Stoneheart. He's there. Uh, he's actually kind of her executioner for when she hangs a bunch of frays at one point in one of the books. Hmm. And he's present at the hanging, or the I guess the threatened hanging of Podrick Payne and Brienne towards the tail end of, of where we're at in the books. Uh, the other interesting thing about it is... So Sandor, he came back this week, and everybody's you know super excited about you know what. Mm-hmm. Um, in the books, uh, Sandor, of course, is retrieved by the Septon Maribald on the Quiet Isle, and he's kind of living with these monks. Um, and then, if you recall, there was these two savage characters that was with Jack and Hagar when Arya saved them. One guy who uh, had his teeth filed down to points was named appropriately Biter, and the other character was named Rorge. I think is how you pronounce it. And he mm-hmm. has uh, distinguished by having a missing nose. Uh, Rorge finds the hound's helm either atop the you know pile of stones that was supposed to be the hound's grave or just lying discarded, and he starts wearing it in the books. Um, he's uh, part of a remnant of a band called the Brave Companions. Uh, m- m- most people call them the Bloody Mummers. Uh, and they kind of go raping and reaving around the, p- the countryside, and he's wearing the hound's helmet. Uh, and he, he sacks this town called Saltpans, and it's an especially brutal sack where they just are really hard on the civilians, and this leads to a popular theory about the Hound still being alive mm-hmm. and being kind of a psychotic criminal. Well, the Brotherhood, who are chasing these people down uh, in line with their mission to kind of protect the small folk, uh, find these characters um, after Brienne has a run-in with them and she's kills them and leaves their corpses on the ground and leaves the the hound's uh helmet behind and limb lemon cloak takes the helmet okay now i'm giving you all this background so you'll appreciate the things i'm about to say next um the interesting thing is there's a couple alternate clagain bowl theories Number one is Lim Lemon Cloak. There's a lot of evidence in the books, and I don't have time to kind of process this into an easily digestible format, but I'm going to link you to the popular theories about it. There's a lot of compelling evidence that says this Lim Lemon Cloak is actually a former squire for uh, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen. Hmm. Okay. And the other interesting thing about him is he was also good friends with uh, Robert Baratheon. And apparently he chose sides during a rebellion and sided with the Targaryens. Uh, and why that is interesting is that a lot of people think that he might have some inside information about, you know, Rhaegar and Lyanna's love affair and perhaps mm-hmm. the child that a lot of people speculate, you know, to 99.9% certainty is Jon Snow. Uh-huh. Um, so there's kind of like an alternate path where you could get the, uh, um, that you could get information for who John is and whether he's the Prince's Promise and whether he's a Targaryen and all that. The other interesting thing about his character is that he's got the Hound's helmet. He's wearing a yellow cloak, which is traditionally uh, the associated with the Cleganes. In fact, their their um, coat of arms is essentially a yellow field with three dogs that are kind of like pouncing on it. Hmm. Um, so there's some speculation that... Uh, since the Hound is at peace and the Hound is kind of lame from the fight, that there's going to be events that transpire that Lim Lemoncloak, who is kind of a warrior and a soldier in his own right, is going to pose as the Hound in the Clegane Bowl. 
and attack, uh, you know, and, and defeat Gregor Clegane or get killed by Gregor Clegane. No one really knows. Mm-hmm. And the nice, the, there's an interesting symmetry there because you've essentially got the former Mountain who's resurrected and going by the name of Sir Robert Strong and wearing the Kingsguard armor is going against a fake version of the Hound, another guy that's actually dressed up in the Hound's armor. So there's those two interesting angles and parallels. Um, I don't, I mean, I, 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 for the book, I think it's fine that he's like some lord or, you know, knight of, uh, of some import that he might have information. I, I, I'm not sure how that would fit into the show. And I also feel like that people would feel like it was a deeply unsatisfying switcheroo if Lim Lim and Cloak ends up fighting, uh, the mountain in the hound's uh, behalf. Um, but, huh. I do think the interesting thing about Lim Lemon Cloak is that he is a closely kind of associated with one of the one you know, the, the new version of Brotherhood of That Banners under Lady Stoneheart, and we might be seeing Lady Stoneheart herself. The thing that I don't understand is that you know even under Lady Stoneheart's management, where mm-hmm. they shift focus from protecting the small folk to persecuting the Freys and Boltons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there is no evidence that she's just running around and completely lost her mind and just killing wantingly everyone. Um, yeah. It could be that this is like a Martin's Razor remix of like the Bloody Mummers uh, and, uh, you know, the Lim Lim and Cloak character. And maybe she'll, Brienne will run into him and she'll he'll have to duel her. And, uh, it's, this guy's name is Piss Piss Cloak. Piss Piss it's... Cloak, sure. <laughs> It's real, you know, it's a mix. So there's another obscure, more obscure theory that is a, is in play here. And um, if I could summarize the evidence of this, is that at one point, Jamie called Brienne essentially the hound with teats. Okay. And Brienne is a fierce warrior who is not kind of hobbled in any way. Um, and if they she runs in this Lim Lim and Cloak who's wearing a, a hound's helmet, that there could be some kind of confluence of events that would have her don the hound's armor and fight as the hound against uh, Gregor. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, but again, that's 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 just based on a throwaway comment for Jamie and the fact that they're approximately the same size. And right, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know what quite to make of all this. And this is where, like, this is. Where, this is where the uh, spoiler podcast, the secret sauce, is. I have six to seven hours to kind of pour over this stuff and and assimilate it and and kind of package it up, and I just haven't had time to do that. Um, yeah, I, I think the the thing that really struck me uh, about what you said is just how dissatisfying it would be for all the people who want the Clegane Bowl to happen to have it happen in some way that kind of subvert subverts the basic idea of the Clegane yes. Bowl of the brothers facing off against each it's other. It's like it's it's you're going to give us the Clegane Bowl which a lot of people thought was unlikely yeah. uh, and then do it in such a way that it's not really the Clegane Bowl. Yeah, it doesn't feel very satisfying. Yeah, it's like, you know, Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady except for under the helmet it's actually Eli Manning and I don't know who Tom Brady's brother is it's it's uh, his wife <laughs> right. Giselle or whatever okay. the supermodel is and it's like surprise like what what the hell did I just watch there yeah um but so the other thing that's kind of interesting is maybe what they're going for is that Lady Stoneheart is a true adherent of the Lord of Light and that this is a religious killing mm-hmm. and it's not motivated like she's like like maybe the show is going to tell a different version of the book truth which is that 
you know, yes, she wants to get the phrase and the Boltons, but also she's become a sincere convertant to the Lord of Light because hmm. she got brought back to life by right. Uh, a, 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 a one of well, she didn't technically get brought back to life by Thoris of Mir. Beric Dondarrion like breathed his life into her and and died himself. But you know what I'm saying. Hmm. So and there's a lot of interesting things about how you know Daenerys is back by the Lord of the Light. Um, King's Landing is being gripped by religious hysteria of the Faith of the Seven. Uh, Jon Snow is doing battle, you know, with these White Walkers who were birthed from the Children of the Forest who worshipped the, what the old gods, and his brother might very well be an old god at this point. Like, uh, there's this interesting okay. kind of three-way religious battle royale. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, because it just... Catelyn Stark as Lady Stoneheart is definitely like this vengeful spirit, but I I still I the fact that she would just kill innocent people seems very crazy to me. Yeah, it sounds like her vengeance is focused on yeah the particular portrayers of per- perpetrators of yeah. that crime. So I don't know if we'll find out that this this limb is a fake and there's a real limb in cloak that's going around and that uh, uh, but there there'll be some stuff we're going to be talking about here in a minute that that kind of deals with this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, also something that I didn't, this is not necessarily a spoiler in the strictest sense of the word. It's just extraordinarily forensic analysis of information that someone took the letter that, um, Sansa took, flipped it upside down and essentially did the CSI thing where they said, enhance, enhance, enhance. And they were able to decipher 99% of the letter. Hmm. Um, now there's a couple things you can't read because of the way, uh, stanza is holding the thing and there's like a part of it's curled over itself but the parts that are able to be deciphered are you promised to protect me now you have a chance to fulfill your promise knights of the Vale are under your command ride north for Winterfell lend us your aid and I shall see that you are rewarded well that sounds like it's going to a very specific person yeah so and you know is this a, is this veil. a dumb Sansa storyline? Is this a smart Sansa storyline? I guess the the well it's, the it's outcome the eye determines that, right? Right. Like, if this works and she gets Littlefinger to contribute to this battle in a way that helps them, and he doesn't just service himself, then maybe. But there's also like the quadrants of success where like you've got you know. Good methodology leading to good results. Good methodology mm-hmm. leads to bad results. Bad methodology leading to good results. And bad methodology leading to bad results. And what if this is a case of bad methodology? Because essentially you're saying if she was correct to trust Littlefinger, then this will work out. I don't think that anyone in any universe could be described as correct in trusting Littlefinger. Right, but... So she falls I, I mean, her instincts. Can... Her instincts are false. Whether Littlefinger turns out to be true, I don't know that I can give Sansa credit for that. Well, I I mean we don't know what her plan is yet and like that's the thing. I don't I don't know if she thinks she can outplay him at at his own game and maybe she can, maybe she can't, but I I don't necessarily know that she trusts him. More like 
What We're, the... They're going to do this anyway. John and Davos are going to send all of their troops at at uh, Ramsey. So why not at least try and get something going? What if there's a way to square the circle? What if she is bypassing Littlefinger and writing directly to Robin Aaron? Oh, Jesus. Who uh, is an idiot, but be. he has some kind of feelings for his cousin. Mm-hmm. Maybe romantic feelings. Even though the last time I think they met, yeah, there she was slapped that... him silly. and Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> there there was that that scene where he got a little weird in the courtyard sure. there. And like... Sure. The castle scene, the the sand castle or snow castle, whatever. But the, to the extent that he still is in the command of the veil and Littlefinger right. can only control him via proxy, what if Sansa tries to decide she's going to cut out the middleman? Sure. That I would kind of I... be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, then you'd have to believe that, like, I mean, I guess that's something that Littlefinger would want to do anyway because he was kind of manipulating him into doing that. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the difference would be there, except for if that's li- Sansa writing him directly to kind of earn some affection towards him. And then she tries to throw her hand into the manipulation to kind of insulate her. And and also, I whether, uh, whatever Littlefinger's game is, I don't think he intends to destroy Jon Snow and Sansa Stark. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't. It seems like his play, his best play, is to back the new Starks and have them feel indebted to him, so he sews up control of the North or mm-hmm. the support of the North. Yeah, he's certainly using them in his plan, uh, but I don't think he's actively trying to harm them. Okay. Uh, if you want to read it yourself, I'll um, include this link. There'll be a lot of links in the the show notes this week. If you want to kind of take a gander at the note and verify its authenticity. Uh, for yourself um next up we have brett c that wanted our thoughts on speculation on some things that occurred to me after sunday's episode in the books i seem to remember john going to the hill clansman who germ writes as being kind of south of the wall wildlings if i remember correctly there is a huge plot point because this is a huge plot point because john was going through this whole we don't have enough men debate Remembers there's this huge pool of super stark loyal warriors that everyone has overlooked. Do you think the show will follow a similar path? It kind of seems like it would solve a lot of their problems unless the end game uh, is for John to lose something else like a double turn of Umbers or Manderleys to save John. Um, so what he's saying is like there's this there's these hill tribes these hills these mountain mm-hmm. clansmen that are like these very small houses but they are super loyal to to John Stark and they're also consider themselves like uber northern men i don't know if it's fair to call them like wildlings they just are less concerned with titles and nobilities than the northmen who as we've discussed you know a little bit briefly in this week's podcast are not that concerned with it in the first place um and i'm wondering that I feel like that with the show's talk of him trying to go after the smaller houses that they might be kind of doing a remix of this anyway. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. There is a really badass quote. Um, and, and to kind of make a minor correction to, to Brett's point here, um, John was trying to recruit for Stannis because Stannis is going to liberate Winterfell. That's something that John mm-hmm. kind of supported and he couldn't give any of his men because he didn't want to enter into the war himself at this point. Wildings wouldn't fight for Stannis, of course, so he suggested, hey, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you how to butter up these northern lords, I'm going to tell you how to play on their support and their sympathies, and then you can go and recruit themselves, and Stannis and uh, Davos go and just and do just that. But there's really this badass quote, because 
Uh, at this point, Stannis is marching on Winterfell, just as in the books in the show, it was gotten snowy and stormy, and they're gotten getting bogged down. And the south, the southern lords are like despairing because you know they're not used to all this shit. And one of them asks the leader of the the most prominent leader of the hills people, you know, do you are you do you want to die here? And the guy responded, his name is Hugo Wool. He says, no, I want to live forever in a land where summer lasts a thousand years. I want a castle in the clouds where I can look down over the world. I want to be six and twenty again. When I was six and twenty, I could fight all day and fuck all night. But what men want does not matter. Winter is almost upon us, boy, and winter is death. I would sooner my men die fighting for Ned Stark's little girl than alone and hungry in the snow, weeping tears that freeze upon their cheeks. No one sings songs of men who die like that. As for me, I am old, and this will be my last winter. Let me bathe in Bolton blood before I die. I want to feel it spatter across my face when my axe bites deep into a Bolton skull. I want to lick it off my lips and die with the taste of it on my tongue. Mm, okay. Hmm. Um, so if we get something like that in the show, I totally support a northern uh, mountain clan campaign for John. But... I don't know. It seems like they're going to shortcut this with some kind of little finger trickery and Knights of the Vale, and they're kind of going to ride in to save John's ass. Well, at what point does Sansa tell John about this? By the way, <laughs> does she? Man, she has to. Like, it's one thing if you just do it. Like, if you essentially beg for forgiveness rather than ask for permission. But if you don't, if you let John ride in a battle not knowing that you've contacted Littlefinger and asked for the, the support from the Knights of the Vale, like that's just stupid. Yeah. I think if they want to make it cool, like John is ready to go in, and and no one has come to their aid yet. They still only have the twenty five hundred men or whatever. Uh, and Sansa goes to him and says, "Look, I've contacted the Knights of the Vale," uh, and, and John's just like, "Have you heard back? Yeah have Have they responded at all?" And she has to say no. And then he goes in, and then uh, if things look bad, and at the last moment they swoop in and yeah, save the day. I don't know. It, it would be a huge coincidence of timing. Yeah. Um. And and I think that's what it's gonna be. I don't. I don't think they're going to hold off. Like, John sure. and Davos don't seem... Unless they get a raven back immediately that says, yeah, we're coming, wait. Right. Because they're ready to go right now. Yeah. With what and, they've got. And and they're not... I mean, that's the thing. Like, you could easily say this is dumb John because instead of waiting for the uh-huh. men he needs, he's just going to attack. But on the other hand, John knows that... That's why I say it's like it might be simplistic to say it's dumb Sansa because John is not listening to Sansa and right. he thinks that hey we could get snowed in here and then we're fucked and we can't do anything and we'll just die we'll starve mm-hmm. and we'll die. Sansa's saying well we don't have enough men to take Winterfell. I mean it's kind of like a, a never in, it's a, they're at an impasse. So John's yep. going to march and Sansa's going to try to recruit and you know I guess yeah. they're both they're both. Um, they're both low percentage chances because, again, I just don't trust Littlefinger. Even though I don't see any right. motive for him to screw over Sansa in this case, I just don't trust him. Yeah, I mean, maybe you're right, though. It it seems like the letter could be going to Robin. That would be, it that would be the Robin, most interesting because then she's got a chance yeah. of keeping of, – of even deposing uh, Littlefinger because it seems like yeah. his primary strength right now is that he has the Knights of the Vale behind him. Yeah, he's not part of the of King's Landing's court anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure that when it, when and if the Lannisters find out all the shit that he's done behind their backs, he's going to be in trouble. <laughs> so if she can pry those knights out of his fingers with a direct appeal to to, to her cousin, 
Oh, it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about some crazy Arya theories? Why not? Before we get into the craziest one, I want to sh- uh, pass on something Andrew L. shared. That uh, right before the, the preseason hype, there was an interview on Hello Magazine, I think yeah. is how you pronounce it, with Maisie Williams and Sophie Turner. Mm-hmm. And they played the classic two truths and a lie game with the uh, journalists. Sure. Sophie's truths uh, were this. Ramsey dies... Well, I'm not saying truth. Her statements were this. Ramsey dies. Okay. Lady Stoneheart returns. Arya checks three people off her list. So one of those, unless, you know, the other thing is Sophia and Maisie could just be fucking with these guys. Because they're they're under no obligation (laughs) to breach their contract. And yeah. Uh, Maisie said, Arya goes to Westeros back over the sea. Arya is in the trailer more times than people have realized because they don't realize it's her. And three, Arya doesn't cross any more names off her list. So, I think that that last one feels like a lie to me, uh, especially when paired with the Sophie thing. The, the Arya checks three people off her list. So, uh, what's your gut tell me? Because I I kind of want to believe that, but the third one, uh, the Arya checks three people off her list, and Arya checks no one are the lies, mm-hmm. which means Ramsay Bolton dies and Lady Stoneheart returns. Right. Uh, that all kind of feels right to me. Arya going back to Westeros feels like it's and and this uh-huh. this the, the the reason I'm getting into this at all is because the second statement Arya is in the trailer more times than people have realized because they don't realize it's her. Yeah, has birthed a shit ton of you know Arya is wearing this mask, Arya is wearing that mask, Jacken's wearing this mask, which you know those things are just essentially blatant statements. I'll you know I. To tell them is to give you the theory that Jack and Hagar, for some reason, is wearing an Arya mask. Now, people say, but, Aaron, uh, but Jim, how can he have Arya's face? But yet, when Arya stole the face from the first the, from the Bla- House of Black and White the first time, and she came back and Jack and gave the whole, for a yep. person who's not no one, a face is as good as poison. Mm-hmm. She starts ripping off the masks of the Jack and who lies dead at her feet. Yeah. Very last face that she gets to after she rips off like a half dozen is her own. Yeah. Now she's clearly not dead in that scene. A lot of people now. So there's a couple things here. A lot of people uh-huh. say, well, but they've showed them physically flinsing the masks off of people. So there's got to be a component to it. And two, she was obviously drugged at the and poisoned right. at the time. So maybe this is all a hallucination. Right. But on the other hand, um, yes, she was being poisoned, but her vision didn't start to blur and her eyes didn't go white until after she'd seen her own face. Mm-hmm. So that you're kind of really up in the air about whether it's absolute a complete requirement that you need to have a dead face to change your face. Right. Uh, and, and the more I think about it, the less likely it seems that that's the case. And that the other theory is like, well, Arya's put a face on someone else, some random person that doesn't even know they're in trouble. Um, put a face on someone else? Yeah, like she just grabs some urchin off the street and says, hey, you want to make some money? And like, yeah, and she flips him a gold coin. Is and that she just something kinda... we've ever seen them able to do? What? The faceless men. I mean, put a face on someone else? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, then that seems a little far-fetched. Sure. <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm just laying some of the theories. Right. Like, but the, the, the interesting one is getting a lot of play is summed up by Sher- Cherie from London. She says, I want to draw your attention to a popular tinfoil theory on the interwebs that Arya is the waif. Some speculate that Arya is having ugh. a fight club moment and wrestling with her past and present identities. Ugh. This would explain. <laughs> don't like Already don't like it. 
This would explain why the waif seems to know everything about her when they play the would I lie to you game and why the waif has a personal vendetta against Arya when she should be a well-trained no one. People have also noticed that uh, nobody ever seems to see the waif apart from Jacken and Arya, and this would explain why nobody cared when the waif was battering a blind Arya on the streets of Bravos. It also explains why her assassination was such a sloppy job. You remember in Liar Liar, where Jim Carrey goes to the bathroom and beats the shit out of himself? Sure, yeah. The people who saw that had a reaction. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. What the hell are you doing? I'm beating my... I'm, what does he say? I'm kicking, I'm kicking my, my ass. ass. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I would think if a, a beggar girl was in the streets whipping her own ass, people would probably take notice, regardless of, of whether it was an invisible waif or Yeah, and there whatnot. was this, another um, piece of evidence that people use is the fact that like when Ari was fighting the waif on one of those fights, they Here pull out in a long shot of her down to, uh, if the waif just disappears... Uh-huh. And Arya's just swinging in fury at nothing. Right. And they're like, oh, this is what people are actually seeing her do, just like act crazy in the streets. You can say but, that. But here's I've, the... Here's... I've got a counterpoint. Okay, give me your counterpoint, because I've got one that I think is just an absolute stopper. I think this is an absolute stopper, depending on what you think Well, Jackson's sure. In, talking in a world about. of magic where people can magically right. put on faces, this is my idea of a stopper, yeah. So there's the scene, you know, one of the training scenes after she comes back to the hall... Uh, where she's fighting the waif, and they go. The waif goes unarmed, kicks her ass. Jacken walks in. She says, uh, "You'll never be one of us." To Arya, sure. And Jacken goes. The girl has a point. He's talking to Arya res- in response to something that waif said. Which I guess, if I was a Fight Club Game of Thrones conspiracist, I would say, well, he actually came in having Arya uh, overhearing argue uh, Arya having an argument with herself that sounds like she's expressing self doubt, and he's just affirming that. And he doesn't go like, "Hmm, what happened in this room?" Yes, Arya's upside down on her fucking neck. <laughs> she's got a broken teeth and, and yeah. a bruised nose. Yeah, what just happened in here? So I think uh, even a better stopper is when the waif reports back to Jacken after she's donned a disguise and in a kind of a third part, uh, person point of view seen Arya's betrayal or failure to execute the mission against the actress. Right. She goes back to report to Jacken right. and say, I knew she was never going to make it and I want your permission to kill you. And then Jacken says, yeah, fine. If you believe that the waif is Arya, who the fuck are they talking about? Right. Some people go so far as to say that Jacken is a figment of Arya's imagination, and I'm just like, you no, know, no. I, if that ends out to be true, no. I think I will like it less. Like, it's a great theory, but those two points we just made, I feel like, are the stoppers. And if they yeah. proceed past those stoppers, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. Actually, right. I do know. I feel like I'm going to be cheated. Yeah, I I just don't think it's true. Because that's the thing about the Fight Club is that that thing works when you think back and all the interactions yep. that have been had. It's very internally consistent, much the same like the Six Senses, um, mm-hmm. and it plays kind of fair with you. I I just I I don't know because again you have to explain either Jacken's a figment of Ari's imagination, which means he's always been a figment of her imagination, even back in season two where she escaped Harrenhal. So, 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 so Arya just uncovered some badass ability to kill all right. these people that she didn't know she had because she had a psychotic break? That uh-huh. I don't feel like is the truth of what we saw here. Who and, gave and her the iron found this coin? coin? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe that was the real Jacken and she has never actually met the real Jacken since, I mean... 
Uh, so so now we're crossing into territory where both Jack and, and the Waif are Fight Club hallucinations. Are, are like, parts and, and 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 also they're not consistent. They're variable depending on how badly you need the theory to work at any one point. Right. And I'm not shitting on a theory because it's you know the theory itself I think is an interesting idea. But I and the one thing that's frustrating is nobody in the Reddit threads were saying these points where hmm. well what about like. You know, it'd be one thing if every scene always had Arya and the Waif and Jacken, and Jacken never made eye contact with the Waif and all. But no, he's right. speaking to her, and she's speaking to him, and they're speaking about a person that has to be Arya. Right. You know? Right, it's so weird. His like, response isn't, a girl has lost her mind. It's, you know... And I mean, all the, the rebuttals and stuff that we're, we're giving to our objections here, um, the kind of playing devil's advocate, people in the Reddit threads would be doing that as well. But every time you do that... You chip away at the theory, right? Sure. Like every every uh, hoop you have to jump through to explain away yes. the problems with the theory is is one less brick in that fucking wall, right? And eventually it just crumbles, right? And and that's the thing. Like I think that it seems to me that you've either got the fact that Arya actually what that there, there's another theory I saw that Arya learned how to do fake blood from the mummers. Fake she's blood? essentially wearing like bla- a bladder of fake blood that she can squirt out to fool the waif. I don't know that that's satisfying. I oh oh right. right. She's when essentially she's fake. Okay. She she knew the waif was coming. She's faking her death so she won't look. But then it's like why? Why look act- so horrified? Why? Yeah. Why wouldn't she just smugly pull herself out of the canal and be like, yeah. hey, hey. the other one is In like, well maybe maybe. Jacken's pretending to be Arya, right? And he, this is a test for the waif and the waif's fight. But again, again, why is this version of Arya, who is actually Jacken, stumbling about, confused in the streets of Bravos, right? And the third possibility is that one that actually kind of makes internal sense is the Jacken, or that Arya has conjured her face upon some innocent person who she set up as a patsy, mm-hmm. who is stabbed, dumped into the thing. Um, somehow manages to do a bunch of acrobatic moves to move to jump off the bridge and then survives long enough bleeding in the canal to walk confused because why did this happen? I took a gold coin from a girl and now I'm being stabbed. Like, right. I feel like the, the answer is going to be D, something way cooler than what we're actually thinking. Right, because there is the problem of we don't know that they the faceless men can even do that for the yes. third one. So yes, that also requires a little hand waving. Okay, clicking bowl theories. Uh, Tyler S. said, A lot of people here saying that there's a lot of logistical hurdles involved in getting the hound into the clicking bowl. But I think it could be accomplished fairly easily. One, the hound finds the group that killed Septon Maribold and his people. I guess this guy's actual name is Septon Roy. Roy? That seems... I think... A little and pedestrian. I, just, I didn't even pay attention because I knew he was Septon Maribald, so fuck you. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the Hound finds a group that killed the Septon and his people. Two, they recognize him as the Hound and tell him about the rumors of a resurrected mountain in King's Landing. Alternatively, he overhears them discussing said rumors before his confrontation with them. Three, the Hound either cuts everyone down or barely escapes with his life. Four, the Hound seeks out his brother in King's Landing. In King's Landing, uh, point five, the Hound meets the High Sparrow, who has also met Septon Maribald in his travels and remembers him fondly. Six, the Hound agrees to fight for the faith, both to honor Septon Maribald and get revenge on his brother. Step seven, the... I guess this track's fine. All you got to know, all you, all he has to hear, he has to deal with the Brotherhood without banners. Now that is a big thing because if it's the true Brotherhood, that means 
They already have bad blood because in his mind they cheated him out of the the gold and silver that he had um, because they they essentially took that from him as a tax when he had his uh, trial by combat. Hmm. Uh, two, if we're right and the Brotherhood Without Banners includes Lady Stoneheart, I don't feel like the Hound is just going to roll them up. Um, the I guess the best the 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 best way I could see this is if. This Brotherhood of That Banners is actually a kind of an amalgam of the Bloody Mummers. The Hound tracks them down and kills them. At the same time, the Brotherhood of That Banners catch, catches them up and says, Oh, you killed the guys we were looking for. By the way, your brother's still alive and King's just you know sharing news with him. And that makes him like, well, fuck that. I'm going to go. And then the rest of Tyler's theory could track, I guess. Because I do like the fact that this kind of up jump Septon, who's kind of like more in, you know, preaching the love than the law and the scripture would be friendly, at least with the high Sparrow, mm-hmm. who again was just kind of like this beggar priest before Cersei anointed him uh, as the, the high Septon. I, I, I guess that all tracks pretty cleanly. Do you have any thoughts about it? I don't know. I mean, the, the hardest thing to, to imagine to me is how he's going to end up, you know, in King's Landing without problems, because like he's definitely not welcome in King's Landing at the moment. And so. he's a big fucker, it's, and he's be hard he's for him yeah. to sneak in. She, he's not Arya. He's not even Jamie. Right. He's this big, tall dude with visible facial scars. Even if you throw a cloak yeah. on him, he's still this big fucking dude. Right. <laughs> his I, size, his appearance, it, it's sure. all working against him in King's Landing. Uh, now. I'm sure the High Septon could sneak him in. That's true. If he knew about him. But. Yeah, if he was traveling with the faithful and they wanted to hide yeah. him in some kind of, you know, cart filled with hay or whatever <laughs> hoary right. medieval trope you want to throw out. Um, I guess that could all work. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. They I, just build a, a giant horse. Yeah. A giant wooden horse. <laughs> wheel it up to the gates. It's a gift for King Tommen. <laughs> uh-huh. It's a gift for Cersei. Um getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. 
the thrills of King's Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of hot D and reading a lot of fire and blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Moving on to Chris H. says, given that Sir Gregor is an undead abomination creation of Kyburns, do you think his necromancy will be exposed during or as a result of the trial by combat? Will he still be capable of fighting if the Hound manages to behead him? Do you believe his magic is similar to that of the Night's King or the Children? Is this destined to be another unanswered question? Perhaps on this podcast, because I don't know that I have satisfying answers. Um, let's talk this through. We do know that there's whispers on a small council about this abomination, and no one's really happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, is it possible that the, that the high sparrow just says, Hey, this is the work of necromancy. He cannot be your champion. Like in the trial by combat, you can't have the devil fighting for you in the, the in a trial by combat. You can't have a work of evil fighting for you because this is determined the God's will. This person was already supposed to be dead. You brought him back to life in contrary to the God's will. So I'm just going to categorically deny you the I, ability to I, my question is just how much power does this guy have the high you know? septon yeah is well, he the one running the opera running the show here or is tommen and marjorie like well so that goes back to Varys's riddle about who has the power the merchant sure. to sell so, the merchant the king or the priest mm-hmm. uh i would say that right now it's there's a struggle going on for the hearts of the people, which where it seems like they're the ones who have the power at the moment um, between Queen Marjorie, Tommen, and High Sparrow. Mm-hmm. So every and and the, the the thing is is if Marjorie goes against the High Septon, she's probably going to win on a lot of issues. But everyone, everyone except for maybe Tommen hates Cersei. Mm-hmm. So if the High Septon said she's got a devil for her champion, I feel like the people would be like, yeah, damn right. Damn right. This mountain guy is terrible. Uh, he's got a yeah, long history of, so. of fucking us small folk. We don't like him. We don't like the fact he's brought back to the dead by your freaky deaky maester mm-hmm. and get him the fuck out of here. Yeah, could be. I mean, that's anticlimactic for the Clegane Bowl, but... Yeah, which makes <laughs> me think that it's not actually going to happen. Is he still mm-hmm. capable of fighting if the Hound managed to behead him? I don't know. In the books, it's imagine. heavily implied that there is no head. In in Sir Robert DeStrong's helmet, it's just empty. no head at all. No head just at empty? all. Oh, just empty. Oh man. Hmm. 
because uh, I think that Bran has a green seeing vision of the mountain wearing the Kingsguard armor, which he and and uh, the helm lifts up and it's just blackness, and then like Stan, Stanley Kubrick style, the shining blood just <laughs> fountains out of it. Uh, all right. Well, then I mean, I don't know what to say about that because. Right. No rules apply yeah. if that's the case. I mean, could could you slice off one of his arms and it hovers in the air next to him and still <laughs> right. attacks? Like Because in the show, I feel like they've, you know, in the books, it's very mysterious what the fuck, how Kyburn did it. Is it some kind of blood magic? Is it some kind of, you know, uh, is, is, it, is it purely magical? Whereas in the show, it seems like it's much more of a Frankenstein, uh, yeah. poorly understood science. Mm-hmm. Than than a purely magic mix thing. up a couple potions, sure, and, yeah. yeah, put some you know get some electric electricity generated, clamp it onto his nipples, mm-hmm. presto, you got Robert the Strong. Um, I don't know the magic similar to the Knights King or Chip. No, I I don't actually believe that. Um, but the you know that I guess that's an that's a question about how you. Sp- for, or how you perceive magic working is it is it all flowing from one source um is it a you know is a good and evil duality the lord of light versus the others in the darkness um is it like you know various factions of different gods have different types of powers and abilities like that's that's a very like what do you believe kind of question at this point yeah um so yeah i don't know is there anything else we should talk about on that mm, i don't think so Hey, guess what? Bald Move is a self-funded enterprise. We're independent podcasters. Uh, We don't have a parent organization that pays for our production and our research or any of our time period. It's all uh, by very small amount of advertising, as you've probably noticed, and also uh, direct fan support. Uh, We try to make it worth your while. If you go to club.baldmove.com, you can find out how for as little as a buck a month, you can get ad-free feed podcasts, VIP forums, Bonus content, such as we just did a playthrough of the final episode of Season 1 of Telltale's Game of Thrones uh, video game, where we essentially tried to ruin House Forrester. Uh, <laughs> that's the way we, we try to play the game the way you probably didn't play through it if you did, or you wouldn't play through it if you decide to in the future. I thought we we did a decent amount of carnage. Yeah. If you're on the fence about whether it's something to be up your alley, uh, I've made the first episode of this season public. I'll include that link in the show notes so you can kind of get an idea of what we're about. Um, but uh, it seems like people like them. But regardless, again, you get a lot of other bonus features. Uh, we have uh, extra weekly podcasts, uh, sometimes more than one. Um, we're going to watch, uh, by the time this is airing, or by the time you're downloading it, we'll have a spoiler podcast for The Conjuring 2 the very first scary movie I've seen in the dark in a theater. What? The Witch wasn't scary? Well, that definitely is a scary movie, but I guess not the kind of, like, there certainly wasn't a crowd. Yeah. There was, like, six people in the audience, including me, you, and Cecily. So yeah. I'm hoping there'll be more and people will be screaming and yelling and I'll get that <laughs> classic, you uh, know. I, I want to be the guy in, uh, being filmed in with the night vision goggles, I want to be the guy that throws his popcorn or dumps his coke on his crotch. I'm you hoping. Just go to YouTube for that reaction videos. <laughs> My reaction to The Conjuring Two. Can it be night vision? I shit myself and died. There you go. Uh, that's going to be. Uh, that's something that only uh, the it's, club it's members. It's a three day long video because the guy literally died on stream and the the cops had to come and 
It was all live stream. I'm trying to sell Club Bald Move <laughs> memberships here. God Sorry. damn it. Club.baldmove.com. It's a buck a month. You can see Jim shit himself and night vision. <laughs> That's a guarantee. Thanks for your support. Uh, Zach B was the first to mention this. The next three show names that were leaked in German. Uh, but people were able to translate it. And I think it's uh, since then been confirmed in English and different sites. Mm-hmm. Episode 608 is no one. And his analysis is obviously we're talking about Arya Stark here. One can only hope this episode marks the end of her seemingly perpetual stick training, finally giving her the chance to leave Bravos and play a little more of an active role in the struggles of House Stark. Indeed. Very also strong, strong uh, possibility of, of uh, you know, there are very, very small likelihood of her actually staying dead if the next episode is called No One. Um, so episode 609 is the Battle of the Bastards. Okay. Okay, Snow and Ramsey. Got yep. it, right? Zach B says, again, it's not exactly hard to figure out who's being talked about here. What's interesting, though, is that the tease climactic battle between Jon Snow and Ramsey Bolton won't be in the season finale, suggesting there might be a giant twist in store, which leads to 610, The Winds of Winter. With a title like that, you can pretty mm. much bet season six will close on the White Walkers charging a full-on assault on the wall, with the suggestion being that they may even be successful in bringing it down. Um... I hear that's going to be 69 minutes long. Longest episode of Game of Thrones the la- ever. So, so I think I read that the last three episodes are going to be over 60 minutes long. Yeah. They're all going to be like historically long episodes, which is interesting because we've had some historically short episodes up till nine. Like some of them have been hmm. like coming in at 50 minutes. Yeah. Um, my question is, where does the Clegane Bowl fit in here? I guess you could uh... shoehorn it into anyone, but... You know, Battle of the Battle Bastards. Of the ba- that's they're the closest. Not, that, I mean, but they're true-born sons of right, uh, right, whatever but, bastard Clegane. But they're kind of them. they're kind of in spirit bastards, right? Like they're right bastards, sure, exactly. Yeah, they're cross-grained bastards. Uh-huh. Um, I guess, but that feels like a pretty epic. That's going to be like an epic battle for supremacy yeah. in the north. Um, maybe one of those Battle of the Blackwater I, where it just you never cut away from it. Right, and I was I was thinking like, where does Jamie's stuff fit in there and River Run? Because yeah. we know that stuff's got to go down soon. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that just needs to happen running up to the end of this season, and it's hard well, to see where thing, it all fits. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is there's another thread on Reddit where people screenshotted, you know, famous. So I watched, and I'm sure a lot of people did the preview for next week, where Cersei comes up to was it Lancel. Yeah, and says she says, you know, if you don't, if you don't leave, there'll be violence. And she says, I choose violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on, that in the trailer for next episode, it shows Cersei walking, and and uh, the mountain is behind her, and he's got his his armor's kind of bloodied. Yes, and he's got these uh, in, prominently on his chest. There's this four pointed gouge that matches up exactly to what it would look like if they hit him with those four pronged <laughs> hammers. Awesome. So that implies to me that Cersei goes against the Faith of the Seven, the Faith Militant, and prevails. Mm -hmm. In which case, did she prevail hard enough that there is not going to be a trial by combat? Uh, Because I'm trying to think hmm, of a way of like that the the mountain and her gets repelled, Mm -hmm. but the Faith Militant are still standing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe they. 
Is this that's a good question. I I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't come up with anything. But I'm pretty sure that you're not going to have like there's just not enough time to like the uh, the next episode. The Hound has to f- figure out what's going on with the Brotherhood of that Banners before he can go to King's Landing, and the Mountain has to be fighting there with Cersei. There's no way that you're going to have the Clegane yeah. Bowl there, mm-hmm. which means it's got to be at six oh nine or six ten. Yeah, I'm with you. Maybe it can be sick because the winds of winter that could be the tease, like like. The the wall like a what people widely speculate of Bran coming south of the wall and the White Walker that the, the Night King putting his hand on the ground and causing an earthquake that destroys the wall yeah. that'd be a hell of a final shot yeah so it could just sure. be like you could have the you could have the Clegane Bowl and all that other shit happening in this episode um, and that also seems to give it a little bit of room to breathe because six oh eight you know Sandor tracks down the Brotherhood settles his business there six oh nine he goes to King's Landing six ten they set up the I don't know. It just seems yeah. it almost seems like there's not enough time to do all this stuff. But when you're dealing with seventy minute episodes, yeah, you know that's essentially another half episode you can fit in there. Yeah, there are a couple of other things from the trailer that I don't know if you wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's about talk about it. Now. Uh, there's one scene that looks like uh, that th- where somebody takes a running leap off a balcony. Uh, I would say no are... one takes a leap off about right a lot of people are speculating oh is that jackin is that aria it looks like aria looks like aria she could be running from the wave but she seems very not stabbed not in the gut. Stabbed. yeah very nimble for someone who just got multiple stab wounds which again you and i both believe that there's some right. kind of oceans 11 style misdirection going on we just yeah. don't know what it is mm-hmm. and I'm, honestly i'm glad because uh, if any of these theories we talked about so far turn out to be literally true that means that it was obvious and i'm hoping yeah. that they've got something that's that's not obvious, but still makes sense right. in retrospect. That's important. Yep. Uh, and I also saw there was a, a dump of some still shots for the next episode where it shows the waif kind of stalking through the city a bit. And yeah. behind her in this darkened hall, the, a hallway, is the outline of what looks like it could be Serio. Like, the stance and the oh, silhouette boy. look very much like a Serio Pharrell type character. Oh boy! All right, so I want to I want to read this from Corinne that was sent in. She's from the UK. She says, "Following the broken man here in the UK, I was watching Thronecast, which is a TV show which does a similar job to you, you guys." She's talking about Thronecast is a TV. It's show? a TV show, yeah, just on the on Beeb. What? I've the seen BBC, yeah, and I've seen it before. I've, I've oh. it's been referenced in other podcasts, and they usually have like celebrities on. Um, so they, you, huh. you, it's similar to what you guys do where they talk about the show and had added celebrity and show based guest on the sofa or a couch for the Yank. Hey, we, I know what a fucking sofa is. <laughs> this isn't your lorries or your bubblers or your, you know, faggots Boots. that you smoke. <laughs> right. This is, this right. is, we use sofa too. All right. <laughs> uh, or your pants, pants. What? Yeah. Their pants are not pants. They're underwear. What? Yeah. That's what they call their underwear, pants. What do they call pants? Knickers. What do they What do they call knickers then? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I don't know what they call pants, but pants are underwear in Okay, cuz I thought knickers is underwear too. I think it is. All right, so it's slacks, It's all, they don't have a name for pants. It's all underwear over there. Pantaloons. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Anyway, on this fucking sofa <laughs> uh was actor, we call it crouch the crouch hammock. Uh the crotch hammock. Uh <laughs> or the, or the butt sling. The butt yeah. sling, sure, sure. Um, the ass pillows, or arse pillows for you. Right. Um, on the sofa was actor Miltos Yerlemu. Miltos Yerlemu. Yep, who plays Cyril Pharrell. Okay. 
I've not been a big subscriber to Cyril Farrell's Jack and Hagar theory, though watching the show has made me rethink. Firstly, when questioned about this theory by the presenter, he was incredibly vague and started talking about the mythology of the show, and he didn't confirm nor deny. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, be vague, I thought, but then when asked a question, Cyril has had some history with the House of Black and White, right? He said yes immediately, but then backtracked and said, oh, no, no, no. I mean, history with Bravos, of course. All this is as fishy as House Tully. <laughs> I put so I thought I watched the interview and I thought he's just being standard level actor, playful, evasive about the future of his being on a show. I see this fucking thing, yeah, and I think about what my little boy heart wants, and I'm starting to think <laughs> that Jackin equals Serio equals maybe is is right on, which implies yeah. so so if if but, I, so it depends like if Serio just comes back to save her. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. If they imply that Ciro is Jack and Hagar, then I've start to wonder. You know, I mentioned that the you know the the faceless men might have this princess that was promised kind of prophecy, and Arya is significant to them in a way that's beyond just a talented new recruit. And I'm, and and if if he's actually Jacken, uh-huh. and he's been training Arya since the beginning of season one, then I start to think that like there is something significant to Arya beyond even what we suspect on the show. How about this? I have an alternate theory for you. Okay. What if he's Wave? What if he's the Wave? Serial because he the has wave? been doing specifically he he's the Wave and he has been doing her combat training and maybe Jacken doesn't even know that he's the Wave. So why would he stab her in the guts? And why is he standing behind her when it's clear there's clearly because it's two not people? Arya. Who's not Arya? Arya's not Arya in that scene. It's Jacken. <laughs> so the waif is Syria. The waif is Syria. Arya is Jacken, and Syria kills okay. Jacken in that scene. Why would Arya be running around? Why would Jacken be running around as Arya if he's to test the waif? So I'm I'm expounding on the theory that Jacken is Arya to, and this is a test for the waif who is actually Syria. So then why would who the, went to Bravos to Jacken as Arya be wandering, confused, bleeding from the gut if he that's expected fair. her to that's attack? Fair. Yeah, it's like I feel like if I'm eventually if I do an Socratic method, we'll yeah. poke a hole in this theory. None of the theories are really particularly good, but, but that fucking looks like Serial Pharrell. Now it does, and it's interesting because it's framed kind of as the wave's shadow. Shadow, in yeah, that, in that shot. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna have to include this in my show notes too. The other right. thing I want to mention is that a lot of people pointed out that my smoking gun about Arya walking past another person that looks just like Arya in her oysters, yeah. clams, and cockles routine is that apparently the show is lousy. Probably. Like this is just a bravosi yeah. style of dress. I assumed so. It'd yeah. be like if you found a girl in North, Southern Ohio in the fall wearing Uggs and a Han Solo vest. Like, <laughs> right. oh my God, they're the same people. There's literally with, thousands of them. With like, bleach blonde, brown-rooted hair. Sure, <laughs> like, sure. Like that, no, that's just kind of the style, even down to the little yeah. weird bun thing she's got in her temple. So it could be that there are several in the crowd with the movie she was watching, there were several in the streets that in 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 when when she was running around as a beggar. Yeah. So it's not conclusive proof that that is Arya, you know, being fake Arya and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know what the hell's going on, but like I'm super excited about the Cyril Pharrell stuff. Okay. Super cool. Abigail McGim says, "I was wondering if you could provide some insight or give your opinion as to why Sansa, John, and Davos did not go to House Reed for support against the Boltons." I know the Greywater Watch is a moving castle, uh, but I think they are in desperate need for men 
of House Reed, and I've always and how the men of House Reed have always been one of the Stark's most loyal allies, and would certainly fight alongside of them. Uh, so this is all you. I don't know anything about their history aside from the Tower of Joy stuff. Well, and the rebellion stuff. My thought was when the Reed children showed up, the Howland Reed is kind of very much a behind the scenes lord. Okay. And he doesn't show up to the big events, and he's kind of, you know, that they're they're known as a reclusive people. And Jojen and Mira showed up after Arya and Ned and Sansa and John had left Winterfell. It was at that point just Bran, Rickon, and the Maester and Hodor, right? And okay. Asha. They're and they uh, and her mother was gone. Like there was nobody. Like like would John know? that House Reed exists and they are super loyal allies. Would Sansa know that? I don't have any evidence that they would. Hmm. I mean, I'm sure they're aware of them. Yeah. But they're one of the most sa- southern of the northern lords. They're literally at the neck, which is the divide. They, they live in the neck, which is the, the swampish dividing line between north and s- south Westeros. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that they wouldn't think they could get down that far south. Like, you know, you're... You're, you gotta, you're, you're south of Winterfell at that point. It's, it might be too late for a recruiting run, or they might just be unaware of the special relationship that Ned has with Howland. Although Bran was aware of the story that Howland and Ned fought together at the Tower of Joy. I don't know. I, I just feel like that maybe they don't know how loyal they are, and also they're just too far south. It's essentially the same reason they, don't mar- they just, just don't go on down the river run mm-hmm. themselves and try to get the, their blackfish. Uncle. Great uncle. Uh, so that's the only thing I come up with there, Abigail. Uh, Avril F says on the Broken Man episode, you're talking about how Brienne has claimed that she killed Stannis, as she's usually true to her word. You wondered why she would lie, talking about the Stannis is alive theory. I, okay, I don't think she did lie, but yes, go on. Maybe she spared Stannis on the condition that he infiltrates Winterfell. Why her vow to avenge Rinley is important to her, I can see her giving it up for aid in her current mission to protect Sansa. Stannis has a reputation for justice and upholding his word. Uh, as an example, see Davos's amputated fingers. Brienne might have been convinced that he would fulfill his promise to infiltrate the castle, which would ultimately, but would ultimately die carrying out his duties, which is why she would say that he is dead. Stannis knew that if he didn't make the promise, she'd kill him anyways, so he would carry it out as he knows that he's already defeated uh, during this battle, and he also had just murdered his daughter. This was all, I think the, the topic of this email was the ghost of Winterfell. So she's proposing that Stannis plays the ghost of Winterfell from the books. Hmm. My thought is Stannis was like m- kind of mortally wounded. He was moving stiffly and also yeah. he's Stannis fucking Baratheon. How, How does he infiltrate? Yeah. He is the one that the Boltons are looking to kill, et cetera, right. et cetera, yada, yada. Why in the world and they're would set he- for like siege warfare. Yes. Like they're not going to let somebody stumble in and then not notice that it's Stannis. This guy is a guy who can barely walk and yeah. who's been wounded many times and is probably going to die of, of his, of succumb to his wounds if Brienne doesn't kill him. Yeah. So it's a cool theory, but I don't see how his fame and notoriety and his poor health would allow him to become the ghost of Winterfell without some kind of inside help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, there are probably still people loyal to the Starks in Winterfell. We already knew there's that one old woman who mm-hmm. got flayed because somehow, you know, Ramsay found out about her. But I'm sure there's other p- people that, that could help, but I, I don't know. I, I just I just still feel like that Stannis is dead. Yeah. 
Someone wrote in well, who, was, who was kind of poking gentle fun at the people saying that, well, we didn't see Stannis die, so by law of Game of Thrones, you can't say he's conclusively dead. He's like, oh, yeah, well, we never saw Theon get his cock cut, cut off. I mean, not directly. Right. We, we saw some sausage links at some point. Well, yeah. Sausage links, but they're not, those aren't <laughs> cocks. And yeah, they sent a right. box that says Theon's favorite toy, but you didn't, they didn't open, they didn't see the cock. So maybe he's still rocking around with his cock. Sure. Um, so, you know, I know it's not the same, but I just, yeah. I guess I would be very surprised if he pops back up. But then again, Ben Jin was fucking cold hands. So what the fuck do I know? Right. But. I mean, we have a character who I trust, Brienne. Yes. And who it's has no reason... actually saying it on screen, I killed him. It's so not I, like I heard he was killed in the woods somewhere. I do appreciate Avril at least gave a, a reason for why she would lie. Right. I just don't know with his condition that I think that he could fulfill this mission. Because, yeah, right, Sans, I think Brienne would do that. I mean, uh, the, the lie could literally just be to get under Melisandre's skin at the moment, too, right? <laughs> like True. Like, I killed your prince... But she seems he, he pretty like uh, that. Uh, to me, I guess why would she spare? The the real answer is yeah. Her finding Stannis like that. What? Why would she? You you have to give a reason why Brienne would spare him, mm-hmm. and I can't come up with any. Yeah, me either. Um. So we already talked about the uh, the uh, Game of Thrones couch podcast. Uh, I jumped ahead of that. Uh, a couple other miscellaneous points. Chrissy says, do you guys think that Davos is going to find out what happened to Shireen since they are camped out exactly at the spot that she was burnt? <laughs> like going to be kicking on a grave. Hey, this big pile of ash. Holy shit, there's a child skull. Ah, Soylent Green is made out of Princess Bur- oh, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I guess at this point I still come back to what I said the last time someone asked me about. What does Davos do with that information? Does he fly into mm-hmm. a rage and kill Melisandre who brought Jon Snow back from the dead? Yeah. I mean, she does have power mm-hmm. that can be harnessed, um, and I, got, I guess I suspect that Davos knows deep down already. Yeah, I, I don't know if he knows directly that that she was killed essentially by Melisandre, but and also you know she's dead. Uh, Stan, I mean, you could just as easily argue that Stannis killed her. Sure, yeah. So he's the one who had to carry out that order. Melisandre couldn't right, do it right on her own. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think it's super important at this point yeah i mean i mean it could be dramatically interesting it's just i i don't i can't quite see how they get there and you know we haven't even seen melisandre which is yeah. kind of weird we discussed about that too I, I i don't know i don't know i but i i, I don't i don't think i i'm with you i think that's just a like davis himself said it's in the past mm-hmm. it's in the past man he went full rafiki on it Troy B says, while listening to the most recent episode, I heard you say you do not remember Danny ever having any whispers of liking women. But I recall that I believe the first season she got taught some sex moves to perform on Drogo. Right. This may not be Danny having a lesbian experience. It shows that she at least doesn't shy away from being sexual. So, yeah, that was Daria, her servant girl in the show, mm-hmm. giving Danny the sex ed. Something I wanted to mention on, on that show, but I couldn't because it's a book spoiler. Sort of is there's also in one of the books where I think she's crossing over the sea to head to Karth. Is that a metaphor? <laughs> um, but she's having, like, some sexy, sexy thoughts, and she turns to her servant girl, Eerie, um, to help her out. And she gives her, like, a hand job that, <laughs> right. like, okay. you know, as kind of like her, I guess, uh, she gets down on her buddy 
Yeah, she needs some sexual relief. So hmm. in the books, they've already kind of showed that she's a little bit uh, of a switch hitter. Yeah. Um, but uh, okay. yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing to say that this isn't a possibility. And to the extent that right. Yara slash Asha is a remix of um, shit, who is the Greyjoy um, Victorian, who is sent there to kind of court Danny on behalf of Euron and who ha- gets in the mind mm-hmm. that he's going to court her herself. And to the extent that Yara just said, we need to go make an alliance with the queen, it wouldn't surprise me if she doesn't at least try to come on to her. Now, whether Danny oh, right. is yeah. intrigued by that or says, get the fuck out of here, or, I-, I-, I don't know. But, you know, they've laid they've laid some tracks here in both the show and the books. Yeah, and I did not mean to imply that she wouldn't be into it. Yeah. I was simply saying, I don't know that we've seen her uh, proof that she would be into it. Sure. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Uh, Travis C. said, just listening to your spoiler episode from last week and the Night's King love story got me thinking. What if you didn't fall in love with the White? This is one of those what if. What if you didn't fall in love with the White or White Walker but instead fell in love with someone north of the wall similar to the way John fell in love with Ygritte? Ygritte, rather. Maybe she turned into a White or she was a witch or she's just a bad influence on the Lord Commander and made, uh, made the bald move to take the Night Fort for himself. Egret is uh, quoted as saying, We free folk have our stories, too, about one of your king crows found something cold in the woods with bright blue eyes, how he brought her home through your wall and declared himself the knight's king. Thirteen years he and his queen ruled over his brothers, making sacrifices as black as their cloaks. She continues to explain how the Starks and free folk rallied together to take him down and to free the knight's watch. Yes, it's a tall tale to tell someone who would bone... uh, Wait... Yes, it's a tall tale to say someone would bone down with a zombie, but if she looked anything like Egret, cold, blue eyes, knows a thing or two, then I could see how the Lord Commander could break his vow similar to Jon Snow. So, I don't have any problem with this. I mean, this is all, like, old wives' tale legends anyway, and, like, right. you know, it's a historical oddity that a black brother fell in love with a white or a white walker, but I could easily... I mean, Think 8,000 years in the future when they're telling the new story of the Long Night. I can imagine someone saying a bastard son of Stark lay with a white white walker woman with piercing blue eyes and cold as the night and it corrupted him and led all of his brothers astray. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I can see this, the, the, the way legends kind of weave fact and yeah. 
and and fill in with story and poetic license. It, it, so yeah, I, I'm fine with that. Um, I don't see how any of that stuff. Now that we know the true story, I don't see how any of this stuff is going to be relevant to the plot going forward. Though, right? It just seems like well, those are just legends and they're half true, half fiction. And here's the real truth that's being presented by the people that would know because they were fucking there. Sure. Uh, Jennifer G says something I've been pondering about with this whole R plus L equals J theory. I'm all on board with the theory and hope that we finally get to see whatever happens in the Tower of Joy. But my question is, what is the timeline for Rhaegar and Lyanna quote-unquote falling in love? I'm not a book reader, but it seems that Rhaegar fell for Lyanna at the tournament, and then a few days, weeks, sometime later, they run off together. How long did it take for Ned to get to the Tower of Joy? I assume nine months since he would be giving birth, or she would be giving birth at the time he gets there, or was their courtship longer than just a few days? From a show person's perspective, I don't know how long the whole rebellion took place and when Ned finally made it to the tower, but it seems to be quick. And could you help with this? Um, I can help a little bit because the, the, the sequence of events is well known and the rough period of time, um, but the exact sequence is not known because we get the years for some of this happened. We don't know the months. So it's pretty well established that in 281... AC, which is after the conquest of Aegon Targaryen when he first came over um, and was 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 crowned king of the se- the Seven Kingdoms, uh, you had, and that's also called the Year of the False Spring, which is also interesting to note about the Roberts Rebellion is that they took place during the winter, which gives you an idea of how relatively convenient slash lack of convenience it is to get around Westeros during the tail end at least of a winter. Because uh, this took place in the year of the fall spring, which is when it got slightly warmer and they thought the winter was over. But nope, it actually lasted for a few more years. This is when you had the famous tourney at Harrenhal where Rhaegar rode and he won and he he crowned Lyanna as the queen of love and beauty. And shortly after, or actually I can't even say shortly because every source I found said something to the fact that some unknown time later, Rhaegar and Lyanna disappeared together. Um, and that actually could be in the very beginning of the year 282. In, in 282, uh, Ned's brother found out that Rhaegar had made off with Lyanna, who was betrothed to Robert Tur- uh, Barath- Baratheon, and he rode up uh, to King's Landing to demand kind of justice. Like, you know, what the hell? What's your prince doing abducting our sister and riding off God knows where with her? Mm-hmm. Uh, and King Aerys had him thrown in prison. Then he summoned uh, Ned's father... Uh, Rickard, and to kind of answer for his son's impetuousness, and there was this uh, he they, they, he got him there, and uh, they demanded a trial by combat. King Eris uh, named fire as his champion, and he burnt burnt them to death. Um, like it, the, the just fire, yeah. Fire's my the the champion for House Targaryen. <laughs> See how you do about this. It's actually Great. it's actually quite a bit more cruel than that because I think the way okay. it worked is that. He set their father on fire, and he had this contraption set up where um, Brandon Stark, the, uh, Ned's brother, um, was like in some kind of noose with a sword just out of his reach, and that the, watching his father being burnt before his eyes drove him mad, and he tried to get to the sword, and he essentially hung himself in his efforts to get to the sword to free him and to save his father. Okay. Then King Aerys sent a raven to John Aaron of the Vale, uh, who was the had two wards. He was he was raising Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark and teaching them how to be men. They were living in his castle, and he demanded them to be sent over to him so he could uh, behead them. 
That's when John Irons said, fuck this, raised his banners, and Robert's uh, Rebellion began. Um, this raged until 283 to early, I think, uh, early in 283 when it was over, because everyone says that the Rebellion took about a year and it ended decisively with the Sack of King's Landing, which is when um, King Eris, uh was killed. But before he did that, he opened the gates to the Lannisters, and the Lannisters' men came through and sacked the city. And of course, Gregor Clegane uh, killed the princess uh, and the two, the, the, the Rhaegar's two children, which you know is what made Oberyn so pissed off. Um, and that kind of ended. And also, shortly after, Ned rode south to retrieve his sister, who was dying at the Tower of Joy. So. There is anywhere between one to two years that Lyanna and Rhaegar could have been off making love in the Tower of Joy or doing whatever. Now, we don't yeah. know that they have all that time because Rhaegar died at the Trident sometime before King's Landing was sacked, which is in the Riverlands. Uh, Bobby Baratheon caved his head in or his chest in with his Warhammer. Uh, so he was uh, uh, separated from Lyanna for some of that time. But what's interesting is that Rhaegar actually at one time believed that his second his his second son, or I guess his first son, his his first child was a daughter with he had with Elia uh, Martell. Second son was his uh where his second child was the son uh, Aegon, and he thought that Aegon was the prince that was promised. At some point though, he changed his mind and decided that he needed a, to try for a third child. And the thing about Elia is that the last child almost killed her, and the maester said she couldn't have another child. And to some speculation, that El, uh, Elia actually supported um, his pre- his quest to fulfill this prophecy because he ve- ve- very strongly that he had the capacity to bring forth this prince that was promised, and he had the idea that Lyanna Stark, being of ice. And he be from fire was going to fulfill this this thing that the the this fixation he had with the song of ice and fire. Mm-hmm. So it could be that he wasn't in love with her so much as that he just wanted to make this kind of sexual magic happen and kabam. Right. Um, so I don't know. That might be more than you were you were looking for, Jennifer. But that's my understanding of of how all that happened. And the other thing is that Elia, even after Rhaegar left her. There's leads credence that she was kind of supporting this and she couldn't give him any further children is that she still was super loyal to the Targaryens um, and never really spoke ill of Rhaegar and also loved Rhaegar like it, um, and her children uh, that she didn't. Uh, I can't remember if Oberyn told this as part of the story that he was telling about his sister. But, you know, it's very common for highborn ladies to give their kids over to like wet nurses after they're born because they don't want to raise the children sure but elia insisted on raising all of her children and she nursed them and she was there from from the beginning uh until their end uh let's move on to nikki from philly says of all the theories i've heard you guys read recently about who john will have to kill to fulfill the swords uh bloodlust we're talking about lightbringer at this point another lightbringer theory why has anyone suggested having him kill Ghost? Maybe a scenario where Ghost saves his life but is mortally wounded, and then the difficult but ultimately kindness thing for John to do is to plunge a sword in him to end his suffering. I can't think of anyone John loves more, and how much Germ loves gut wrenching um, plot twist. Can how much more can how much more gut wrenching can you get than for a boy to kill his beloved dog, a la Old Yeller style? Um, I actually had two or three people suggest this. Nikki was the first. My response is. I don't see to the extent that you even have to fulfill any bizarre prophecy to bring a Bart Lightbringer, which you know 
again, I'm openly skeptical that this is a literal thing that you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see how Ghost fulfills that, unless you want to say Ghost is a direwolf and he's associated with Starks, who are associated with cold, who are associated with ice, which is a frozen <laughs> form of water, and this is the quenching of water. Well, because he for sure ain't a lion. Now he is. The sacrifice is the thing, right? He, is, the, he does love ghosts. Yeah. But does he love ghosts as much as he would Egret? I don't know. Like, if he could save Ghost or Egret, who does he save? Uh, that's a thing. Like, I... Like, that's, you're talking about a man's wife, if you're talking about the, anal- and, and, and the analogy to Nisa Nisa here. Right. Right. Maybe at some point Ghost and John get married. I don't know. I mean, we got. I get tons of theories. Someone was theorizing that that could be like you know, if you go to fairy tale ending of John and Danny getting together and as joint conquerors and perhaps mates, that at some point John has to kill Danny. You could easily say that Danny has to kill John. I think we might even. I, it's, I start to forget at this point what stuff I've actually talked about in the podcast and what stuff I didn't have time to talk about and what stuff I've read online, but. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm about to close the door on Lightbringer theories because I... They've we, all been rehashed. You and, know? We, and we don't have... We need to get more information. Like, something right. new has to happen. Either The Winds of Winter comes out, which, by the way, George R. R. Martin put on his live journal that he has some big news to discuss after a recent meeting with his editors in New York. <laughs> he's never going to release the books. <laughs> yeah, he's got an <laughs> indefinite extension. Good news! I'm off the hook. Um... But yeah, that that could be exciting. Um, could be. But until we get a new book or new episodes or another season, like and, and, and until something else comes of Lightbringer, uh, it's going to be hard to kind of get a Lightbringer theory on the table. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, okay, I almost forgot the the corrections from the previous edition again because again, shotgun podcast, all that. Uh, but Broom Person started another thread, uh, and. There's a couple of small, various. It seems like I had a pretty, a, a much better podcast than the normal as far as getting things wrong. But Murder Bear wrote in and said, um, "Wanted to correct that Leaf is the one that told Brand that Cold Hands died long ago, not Benjen himself, uh, or Cold Hands rather." Uh, I always took that as some kind of double speak. That yeah, it's Benjen's body, but it's not him anymore. He's just a puppet of Blood Raven. He could definitely be a red herring, but it just makes so much sense for him to be Cold Hands. Uh, yeah, I mean. That's the thing, like, it's weird doublespeak, because he says Cold Hands died long ago, Benjen did not die long ago, uh, the Blood Raven is not dead, so she can't be speaking to him, it's like, what, that's, that's, that's beyond double talk, that's just straight up lying, man, <laughs> that's some, that's beyond Obi-Wan Kenobi style, style bullshit. Um, Kojita Wood mentioned, I said that Arthur Dane was dual-wielding greatswords. He says he was most definitely not. Even the mountain would be hard-pressed to do that. I I heard many people say that he was dual-wielding greatswords. I also know that he was a, the, the prop guys intended him for one of those swords to be Dawn, which I've always heard described as a greatsword. To be, to be hmm. honest, I'm kind of ignorant about medieval technology, so I don't know... What separates a broadsword from a greatsword from, like, is a greatsword, uh, like, Ned's ice? Then fine. Yeah, nobody's going to be dual-wielding that. Is it, sure. like, a claymore? Um, I don't know. I think Leon Nielsen could probably dual-wield one of those things. I just I just don't know. But if I misspoke, I don't want to, you know, irritate anybody in the Society for... Uh, what what's that the SCA the Society for Creative Anachronistic Combat or whatever I don't know the guys who are actually forging swords and making I don't want them coming for me yeah because uh, they have swords and you don't want that 
Yeah. Um, John Roberts wanted to point out that the Mashable.com article that I listed for the Baratheon family tree is actually wrong, and it was mo- a fan creation by a user on the wiki of... Huh. It's based on a fan creation by a user on the wiki of Ice and Fire um, that goes by the name of Eagle of Seagird. Um, in truth, there is mm-hmm. no real actual Baratheon family tree that goes that far back. And I, you know, again, like, I didn't really care. I was just passing it on, so... Any errors were not my own, and I'm fine with Jamie not fucking being a secret Baratheon, yeah. Targaryen, or whatever the hell he was supposed to Seems be. Seems like everyone is. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently I got some things wrong about Ashara Dane. It's just, Jesus Christ, I I cursed the day I ever brought up her name and then associated anything with her. Um, but Edric Dane tells Arya Stark about his aunt Ashara, who died before he was born. This is Edric, not Arya. It's Edric's aunt, not Arya's. Um, having committed suicide because her heart was broken, he is surprised that Arya had never heard of Ashara and that Arya's father, Ned, had never spoken of her. Edric tells Arya that his aunt, Alaria, says that Ashara and Ned fell in love at Harrenhal, which was news to me. I don't remember this, and I didn't remember the Ned and her ever being a possibility of a, some kind of love triangle, although now that I think of it, maybe there was a rumor that Ned's bastard was Ashara's. Hmm. Uh, this is a quote from Barristan Selmy. Ashara's daughter had been stillborn, and his fair lady had thrown herself from a tower soon after, mad with grief for the child she had lost, and perhaps for the man who had dishonored her at Harrenhal as well. Uh, his conclusion is Ashara probably didn't commit suicide because Arthur Dane died. It's more likely that, A, she gave birth to a stillborn child, and or she was in love with someone she couldn't have, perhaps Ned, now married to Catelyn Tully, or perhaps Brandon Stark, dead, or someone else. It probably had very little to do with the fact that Arthur Dane died besides if she was in love with Ned and he then had to tell her not only he couldn't marry her but that he had killed her brother and that what caused her to be grief-struck. So, again, had some, some, some minor problems with Shara Dane. I'll try not to speak her name again since she's dead and I don't think she's <laughs> going around as anybody else. Uh, theories to the contrary. So that will be the end of our podcast. Again, uh, get on forums.baldmove.com if I made any mistakes and you want to tell me where I fucked up or just talk about spoiler theories or whatever, or you can email them to gameofthrones.baldmove.com. Be back to normal next week. Uh, Sunday night, we got the instant cast. Tuesday, we got the full cast. And Friday, we'll have the spoiler edition, and I'll have a lot more time to work on all of them. Thanks very much again for all your well wishes for my family. Looks like everything's going to be great. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you Sunday night. Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Bye-bye.